but you don't consider the plank in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Don't give what's holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they turn, lest they, um, excuse me, <clears throat> trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Some vicious pigs. Ask. Yeah. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. <clears throat> See, everyone who asks, receives. <coughs> and he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or, or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will, will he then give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, <laughs> how much more will your Father who is in the heavens give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. See this. This is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow Narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Oh, beware of false prophets, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men... Gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree can't bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. See, every tree that doesn't uh, bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of the heavens. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, ha have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. 
And therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And so it was. When Jesus had ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes did. Not as the scribes. Father, would you <coughs> help us to hear, to have ears to hear your authority? And the authority that you have given to Jesus, that he uh, indeed speaks with your authority. That we would find ourselves being not only hearers, but doers, Lord. Oh, would you teach us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So... This is probably, at least in my experience, probably one of the most frequently quoted verses um, by people who aren't usually a part of churches. <laughs> uh, Matthew 7, verse 1. Uh, and, of course, it's used to show why a Christian shouldn't talk bad about somebody else, basically, is typically the way it's used, right? Judge not that you be not judged. To judge is a very simple thing. Everybody does it. It's to make a decision, <laughs> to make a choice about something, a selection, a preference. It's a normal word. It means to do that. Um, <clears throat> what does Jesus mean when he says, right? That's sort of this is the whole point here, right? What does he mean when he says, judge not that you be not judged? I think that uh, the simplest way, as we do with everything else, really the simplest way to gain an understanding of what he means is to continue to hear what he says, okay? And he's going to go on a little bit more from this and explain what he's talking about. But I want you to see a couple of things. He's going to set us up a little bit because he's going to say this, judge not that you be not judged, but then he begins to talk about how we judge, right? The measure that we use in judgment, Because in the very next section, he says in verse 6, don't give what's holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine. And that means you've got to make some decisions. <laughs> what's a dog? What are, what are swine? I mean, clearly he's not talking about like actual dogs, right? I mean, you guys get that, right? Like, <laughs> not talking about an actual dog, right? Or an actual uh, uh, piggy. Uh, you've got to make a decision. You've got to make a choice about that. Not only, not only to what that applies, how does that apply, um, what does that mean, you've also then got to decide what, when, it, when is it that you're... Bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. Bless you also, Trina. Earlier. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> bless you all. Okay. Um, you and I have to make a decision about what, what it, who are dogs or what is dogs. What does that mean? What are swine and, and how does that apply? And then when is it casting your pearls before swine? When is that? What does that mean? 
how exactly does that look? Or um, giving what is holy to the dogs. What does that mean? You've got to make some decisions about that, right? So this whole concept of judgment, um, and, and even before that, when Jesus begins to explain what he means here, when he says, judge not lest you be judged, keep it in its context. The very next section, he's telling us how to rightly exercise judgment. He says, don't go to your friend and be like, yo, you got a speck in your eye, homeboy. Let me, you, I need to deal with you, you punk. You know. He says, first, before you try and help anybody else with the speck in their eye, deal with the plank that's in your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly to remove the speck. He doesn't say, don't deal with your friend's speck. Do you get that? He says, deal with yourself first. And this is incredibly reminiscent, reminis- I don't even know how to speak this morning. Okay. Um, this is incredibly reminiscent of something that Paul writes in his letter to the Romans. And we're going to look at that here in just a minute as well. But um, this is the thing that is oftentimes that I've heard, at least in a natural sense, when people throw this verse out, judge not lest you be judged. Typically, they're saying kind of the thing that people get like tattooed on them, like, only God can judge me. Like, that's terrifying, bro. Like, I don't know why you would, people would say that and be like, so I'm comfortable with what I'm doing. Like, what? <laughs> My goodness. Like, uh, the thing I like to add to, um, you know, a couple years ago, there was that thing when people said, um, um, YOLO, do you remember that? It was a couple years ago. You only live once. It was like a social media thing, whatever, short, you know, hand lingo thing, right? YOLO, you only live once. And, and it was sort of the, is the carpe diem, right? It was seize the day. That was the, the theme, right? As it typically is in, in society, in a materialistic society. You drink and be merry for tomorrow you die. It's classic Epicureanism, okay? But, um, I, I liked to add, anytime somebody said YOLO, I would say, and then the judgment, right? So, you, so it was YOLO, and then the judgment, right? Because the author to the Hebrews says, it's appointed unto man once to die, and then what? After this, the judgment, right? So yes, you only live once, but be careful how you use that life, because then comes the judgment, right? Right, so anyways. Uh, judge not that you be not judged. You can't judge me, only God can judge me. <laughs> right, so tremble. <laughs> right? Certainly, um, and we're going to talk about this in, in several different, hopefully several different ways as we go through it here. But uh, as we continue through this chapter, you're going to see that Jesus, not only in that immediate section, but even further down when he's talking about good trees bearing good fruit and bad trees bearing bad fruit and there being false prophets, all of that requires you to exercise Judgment, decisions, <laughs> evaluation, right? All of that is required, but the issue is exercising right judgment. And that brings me back to the story of, of David, before David is first anointed to be king, and, and his dad is called, and, or all his brothers are called to go before the prophet, and his brothers are older and great dudes, uh, many of the military dudes, and, uh, and the prophet goes through all of them, and, and God's like, nope, 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 nope. And then, the, and then the prophet's like, well, the dad's like, okay, this is all my kids, you know. And, and um, the prophet's like, you sure you don't have anybody? I mean, that's how he thought of David, right? That's how dad thought of David, you know. <laughs> and then uh, he said, okay, there's one more. He's like, you know, 
he's a shepherd, he's keeping the sheep, you know, whatever, I'll get him. And so it goes before him. Uh, but the, the whole point of the illustration was, um, God says there through the prophet that man doesn't, that man judges on the outward, but God looks at the heart, right? God knew what was inside of David, and that was uh, what uh, God was looking for was there. And it's that kind of right judgment, that kind of, of uh, deeper judgment that the scriptures call us to. We live in a world full of quick, immediate judgments, decisions about people based on external things, based on immediate uh, what I observe of them, right? That's uh, so frequently happens, and it happens um, in us and with us and around us all over the place. But Jesus calls us to something different. And this is why he can look at the woman caught in the act of adultery and say after writing, after you know, writing something with his finger in the dirt. And there's been speculation as to what that was. There's a reason why we're not told anything else about it. I don't care to speculate so about it. But um, um, whatever happened there, all of that woman's accusers left, you know. And Jesus then says, where are your, where are your accusers? Neither do I condemn you. It's this incredibly intimate, wonderful moment that Jesus has with this, with this woman, with this woman um, caught sinning, if you would. So, um, moving through the text here, judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you judge, you will be judged, right? That's the warning. Do you get that? That's the caution. The way that you and I judge is going to come back to us. Okay. Jesus had already, in the beginning part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus had already been saying things like this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. In the last chapter that we looked at, in Matthew chapter 6, uh, Jesus begins to talk to us about the secretness of his kingdom, that is, of doing things in secret, not bad things in secret, trying to hide them, because God sees everything in secret, right? But doing good things. When you give alms, he says, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. When you pray, go into your closet and pray to your Father in secret, because the one who sees in secret will reward openly. When you fast, don't cover yourself with sackcloth and ashes and go around and demonstrate to everyone that you're fasting. Don't be an actor, a hypocrite. But do things so that your father who sees in secret, so that he knows. And don't worry about whether or not somebody else sees. Right? So if that's the case, then you and I need to realize that when we're looking at other people, there's stuff going on that we can't see. And if that's true, then we need to be careful about making judgments about people, right? Very careful. Judge not that you be not judged, Jesus says. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Why do you look at the speck, verse 3, in your brother's eye, but don't consider the plank in your own eye? I love the imagery here. You imagine like there's like this little tiny speck of dirt, right, in your like your friend's eye, and you're like, yo, let me like clean that off, whatever, like a mom, you know, cleans your something off your face or whatever. Like, let me let me deal with that for you, you know, whatever. Well, at the same time, you've got this plank hanging out in your own eyeball, right? You have this giant piece of wood hanging out in your own eyeball, and you're like, let me let me clean out that little speck in your eye. When you've got this giant plank in your own eye, so Jesus' instruction is, 
he's going to move to it, verse 4, how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. He brings up that word again, actor. (laughs) Hypocrite. It's the common Greek word for an actor. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This reminds me of something of uh, really kind of a whole section here that Paul writes to us uh, in Romans. He says this um, in the end of Romans 1 and then moving into um, Romans chapter 2. He says this, uh, therefore, um, ooh, I'm going to start in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is, is revealed in them, is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not worship him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things, all sorts of idolatries. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, because they refused to acknowledge God, God gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual morality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. You see, they're whisperers, they're uh, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who who knowing the very righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge, practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for you for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance and doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness 
indignation and wrath is what's stored up for them, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Why? Because there's no partiality with God. It's all the same. And he moves on a little bit, continues there that theme of, of bringing everyone under the judgment of God. That's kind of where he brings things there in Romans. We move to uh, Romans chapter 3 where he sort of summarizes everything by saying, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. The point that Paul makes there, the point hopefully that we can see that Jesus is making here, you see, the the issue that we run into is that we can so quickly, um, or sometimes we can so quickly condemn or judge someone who's involved in a particular sexual sin that we haven't struggled with, whether it be homosexuality or some other type of sexual sin, whereas then at the same time we can find ourselves given over to other sexual sin while we're judging somebody else for their sexual sin, right? And that's why he says, you're inexcusable, oh man, whoever you are, right? This is why Jesus says, deal with the plank in your own eye first, then you can help remove the speck in your brother's eye. Consider yourself. I think that if we would do this, we'd find ourselves a lot more merciful to the people around us. (laughs) We'd find ourselves a lot more patient with people, understanding that, that we too can wrestle, we too can struggle, and finding ways to exercise, to walk in love toward those who are around us. In the end, that's what this is coming to. He's going to bring us to this thing that we call the golden rule here in just a second, because that's how we summarize our treatment of others, the law and the prophets. Hypocrite, he calls us. (laughs) Actor. It's easy for people in the church to be actors and to pretend like we've got it all together, but when we hear the words of Jesus, when he says, if you're angry at your brother without a cause, you're guilty. If you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you're guilty of sexual sin. You know, then we realize, oh, okay, there's something else at play here. (laughs) Verse 6 says this, Don't give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. I really wrestled with this. I really, really wrestled with this. There's a couple reasons. One of the main reasons why I wrestled with this verse right here is because I thought, what is the flow of what Jesus is bringing us to here? Uh, I don't think that these are just random, generic statements, but, but there's, a, there's a theme. There's something that Jesus is doing as he's, as he's uh, bringing us through this teaching. And this requires us to make some judgments. What is a dog? What are swine? Well, to Jews, both dogs and pigs are unclean animals. They're unclean. They are the, um, <laughs> the typical other, if you would. Whatever we think of as the other. Right? There's us, and then there's them. We like to break everything down that way, because then we know who we can love and respect and share life with, and that's us, you know. And then the them is you know, everybody else that we disagree with or whatever. (laughs) 
Don't give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. I really struggled with this. With what, what, Lord, what kind of judgment does that mean I need to have? Does that mean that I'm required to be, I mean, I mean, what is holy and casting pearls before swine pearls are, are certainly valuable things, right? Like, if this is dealing with our treatment of others, if this is dealing with the way that we share with or talk to others, maybe the way that we share spiritual things with other people, if that's, the, if that's how we apply this, then, then what exactly does that look like? In what context does somebody become a dog or does somebody become what we might think of as swine? And when do we think of that? I, I look to um, an interesting story, actually. Um, Jesus, a situation that happened a few chapters ahead, if you want to look at Matthew 15 with me, it says Jesus, in Matthew 15 verse 21, says Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and behold, a woman of Canaan, this was a Canaanite woman, came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. But, verse 23 says, he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. So you, you see the scene. Jesus is going with his disciples, and this woman, who is a Canaanite, not a Jewish lady, a Canaanite woman from the region, comes to him and says, Son of David, have mercy on me. You know, um, My daughter is severely demon-possessed. And Jesus doesn't even respond to her. He, he answers her uh, not a word. And then his disciples, in addition to Jesus ignoring her, the disciples came to Jesus and they said, send this lady away because she's, she's bothering us. <laughs> you know, sometimes we look at the, the disciples that, you know, we're like, how could they possibly? You know, but we are the same. <sighs> we are the same. When somebody walks up to us at the gas station and asks for help buying some gas, <laughs> get them away from us. Yeah, we're the same. Anyways, um, he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and urged him, saying, send her away, for she cries out after us. Now listen to the response here. But he answered and he said, I wasn't said except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is a, a statement of Jesus' purpose in his first coming. Jesus was, Jesus was sent to Israel to be proclaimed as the Messiah and eventually rejected as that Messiah. This was something the prophets had foretold, and Jesus came with this purpose, with this thing. His ministry was centered around where? The nation of Israel, right? He didn't show up as a king in Rome. He was sent to Israel in fulfillment of the promises given to Abraham and to Isaac and Jacob and to David and to others. Um, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and listened to this. She worshipped him, saying... Now stop right there for just a second. I want for every one of you to hear this. We have this weird concept about what worship is. We think it means singing. Uh, and, and I get that we simplify lingo to make things easier or whatever. But, but listen to how she worshipped She said, Lord, help me. This worship is, is a, it's a declaration of dependence on him. It's laying yourself before him. 
Lord, help me. It's not a lot of words. It didn't take her hours of, of meditation to get to that place to finally, you know, be worthy of what Jesus was going to do. But this was worship. Lord, help. I'm so glad that's true. Because <laughs> I grew up in some system that, without coming out and saying it, almost suggested that the way to really get God's attention was to be worked up into a fervor, an emotional fever. And then that's re we've really met with God because we have this, because people were sweating and dancing and, and loud and boisterous and all of the other. And if that didn't happen, if we didn't have that kind of feeling, there was almost a sense of, well, was God really there? We wouldn't say that out loud. But we say it the other way by whenever we have an emotional experience, we say, man, God really met me there. Or man, it was a re I had a really great time at the service or whatever. It was really as if God were captive to our emotional ups and downs to justify his reality. She just worshipped him and said, Lord, help. But he answered <laughs> and said... It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And you got to hear this Canaanite woman comes to him and says, Have mercy on me, son of David. She's not even a Jewish person, but she's acknowledging him as son of David. That's a very, very Hebrew, very Jewish way to speak of Jesus as the son of King David, right? That's a recognition of his messiahship, frankly, because the son of David was to be the messiah, right? The, the uh, kingdom of the messiah was to come through the son of David, so... She's doing this, and, and he ignores her at first. That's some resistance, right? And then the disciples come to Jesus, and they're like, listen, just tell her to leave, bro. Come on, Lord, just tell her to get out of here. She's bothering us, whatever. She's bothersome, you know. That's more resistance that she's facing, okay? And then Jesus' response to her when he does speak is, I, I was only sent to the, the um, lost sheep of the house of Israel. And she's a Canaanite. <laughs> she's not an Israelite. That's the point. And so she says, Lord, help me. And then as if, as if you couldn't have any more resistance, Jesus says, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Do you get that that's more resistance? <laughs> but all of this resistance, what it does is illustrates how deep her faith is. She really trusts him. And it is remarkable, but, but it's the resistance that she experiences that allows us to see that. This woman has deep faith. And it's such faith that even Jesus himself is surprised by it. That's amazing. <laughs> she says this when he says it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. She said, yes, Lord. Yet, even the little... She takes his illustration <laughs> of not giving the bread that belongs to the children to the little dogs. She uses his illustration now and responds to it. 
Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. And then the response, let it be to you as you desire. It's, it's almost as if like it didn't even matter what she was asking. It didn't matter. Just whatever you wanted, let it be. That is amazing to me, but it's also a reminder that like nothing is hard for God. <laughs> Everything's the same for Him. Let it, uh, let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. It's a remarkable story, but what's interesting to me is that Jesus uses this this illustration of of um, referring to her, if you would, as a dog in this illustration that he uses, saying it's not good to take the children's bread and, and feed it to the little dogs. Right? Don't give what is holy to the dogs. <laughs> Nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. This requires, as it relates to me serving the Lord and living with people and doing ministry, serving my family and my friends and neighbors and strangers, it requires discernment then for me to know what to say or when to say it. Tact. Maybe some tact that's a little different than the Westboro Baptist Church with their God hates fags signs, you know. What I find immediately is that I need help. If I'm supposed to exercise right judgment in the way that I deal with people, judge not lest you be judged, because the way that you judge people is what's going to come back to you. If you're incredibly harsh and, and you know, uh, judgmental of others, then watch what happens. <laughs> watch what ends up coming back to you. But if you find yourself being merciful, remember what Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, Right? And now he's, he's demonstrating this. He's, he's giving us more instruction about this. And don't give what's holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. I really need help. Oh, I need help, you guys. I need so much help. <clears throat> it's no wonder then that Jesus begins verse 7 this way. Look with me at verse 7. Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. A couple, one thing I want you to keep in mind, rather, one thing I want you to keep in mind is that the tenses of each of these words, ask, seek, and knock, the tense of each one of those, the Greek tense is in the present tense of that particular verb. Now, um, English present tense is a little different than the Koine Greek present tense. Koine Greek, or... Um, common Greek of the first century, present tense, uh, when it's used, doesn't just mean a simple statement of fact or a simple event occurring. What it means is something that happens and continues to happen, something that is continually repeated. So the idea here in the use of these verbs is continue asking, continue seeking, continue knocking. If I'm to be making right, wise judgments about how I treat the people around me, you know what I need? I need help. <laughs> because it, immediately, the way that I look at things and judge them is by what I see on the outside. But that is not right judgment. 
I need help. I need to deal with the plank in my own eye before I can help somebody with the speck in their eye. So ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And him who knocks, it will be opened. There's a a promise here that Jesus gives. If you will ask, if you will continue to seek, if you will continue to knock, you will get response from him. James reminds us of this in the beginning of James. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally. (laughs) If any of you lacks wisdom... If you haven't learned this yet, even though James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let me just clear it up. You lack wisdom. Me too. So keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Lord, how do you want me to handle this situation? Father, how can I serve this family? Lord, how, can, how should I be responding to this person that's in front of me? The way that they treated me at the, whatever, the checkout line at the grocery store or the, the way they drove around me in their car. Lord, what do you want me to do? How should I handle people? How should I treat my spouse when they've done something that I thought was unkind or haven't responded to me the way that I thought they should? Or when they've forgotten me or neglected me, or at least I feel that way. How should I respond? Lord, what do you want me to do? You, you don't get to control other people's choices. And if you're trying to stop it, knock it off. Don't try and manipulate people. <clears throat> but what you do get to decide is your choices, what you do, how you respond. Or he's going to give us an illustration so that you and I can learn more about the character of God. He's encouraging us to ask, seek, and knock, because everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. To him who knocks, it will be open. Verse 8 says, so verse 9 says this, Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Now some of us, some of you, I've, I know some of you dads, and you and I, and me particularly, are smart-alecky enough that we might just do that to our kids uh, before we give them the bread that they asked for. Because... <laughs> um, because we're jerks, that's why. Um, <laughs> but the the principle here is clear. Uh, the idea here is clear. What man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? You like give your kid a rock. Your kid's like, may I have a sandwich? And you're like, here's a rock. Chew on this, kid. You know. <clears throat> or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? Oh, you you want some fish to eat? Well, here's a snake. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, I remember the scene. This makes me think of the scene from uh, Indiana Jones. I remember it because I was like little when I saw it, and they're like at the dinner, and they cut the belly of the snake open, and all the little snakes come out at the dinner scene, and that one thing, you know, it's brutal, man. And they have like the little monkey brains. <laughs> <clears throat> Don't do that to your kids, man. <laughs> He's saying, if you, if you, uh, I mean, are you going to act like that? Or or are you good enough to give your kids what they need? If you then, being evil, stop right there for a sec. I just love Jesus. He just calls it like it is, you know. If you then, being evil, know how to give, give good gifts to your children. (laughs) 
uh, how much more? Lord, you're right. I am evil, and I still know how to take care of my kids and give them what they need. They don't always know, nor do they always like what I give them, because they're kids. They don't. They don't always. They don't know some of the things that I know yet. But I'm evil, and I know how to good, give good things to them. So then, by comparison, how much more? Because you're not evil, Lord. You're good. How much? more will your father who is in the heavens give good things to those who ask him right because every good and perfect gift comes down from the father of lights with whom there is no shadow of turning no shadow of variation right i mean think about the reality of that you know how to take care of your kids you do good for them and you're evil how much more then is your good father? I know that there are things that, that God has allowed in your life that you don't understand or you don't know why and you think are bad or evil. Just like my kids think there's things that I do that they don't understand. They don't know exactly why I tell them that they can't stay up all night long playing video games or whatever. Like they don't get it. They think I'm evil for telling them to turn it off. Or whatever the thing is, you know. But you see, I know, I know things about their body that they haven't learned yet. <laughs> I know things about life that they haven't, they haven't understood yet. And because I'm a good dad, I'm trying to do the best that I can to take care of them and provide for them. <clears throat> How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you. This is... One of the things that strikes me about the Golden Rule, um, other than it being proactive, there have been several other religious systems that have sort of taken this and made it a negative statement, where it's like, um, don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you, but that's not what Jesus said. What he says is a proactive thing. Whatever you want people to do to you, do it to them, do that to them. See, because this whole section here is about, is about what we're doing, is about how we treat others. Judge not, lest you be judged. <clears throat> Ask, because you need wisdom in how you handle relationships. Ask, seek, knock. You know how to give good gifts? Your father knows how to give good gifts, and he's way better than you. Because that's true. Because God knows how to give good gifts to you when you ask him. This is the key to the golden rule, by the way. You can do good to others. You can do what is right to them, even if they do the wrong thing to you, because you have a good Father in the heavens, and He knows how to give good gifts to you. He knows how to take care of you. You don't have to worry about repaying someone because they've treated you unjustly or unfairly. God knows how to deal with them. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. This is the law and the prophets. So let me ask you a question. Do you, a couple questions. Do you want people to forgive you when you sin against them? Do you want that? Then you should be doing that for them. 
whenever you don't meet someone's expectations, do you want them to rail at you or do you want them to be merciful to you and patient and kind with you? Is that the way you want people to treat you? Listen, doesn't matter how they're actually treating you. That's not what's being asked here. What's being asked is what you want people to do to you. Do you want to be treated that way? With kindness and respect? Then do that to others. Don't wait for them to treat you that way. That's irrelevant. How they're treating you is irrelevant to your responsibility and how you treat others. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law. This is the whole thing. Love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> this is the law and the prophets. <clears throat> Jesus is going to move now to talking to us about, again, still exercising judgment, making choices. When he says in verse 13, enter by the narrow gate. You see, the second I hear that, I realize the gate must be real narrow that leads to life. When I read, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, because that's not normal M.O. for humanity. The normal M.O. for humanity is um, vengeance, <laughs> is revenge. Jesus says, this is his summary, really, I think, of the whole sermon here after he's gone through all of these things and really exposed to us that even though we thought we were righteous because we hadn't murdered anybody and we hadn't committed adultery, you know, and even though we swear oaths and we break them or whatever, so we think we're okay because we only swore by the, you know, the gift on the altar, not the altar itself or whatever our situation was, you know. We thought we were okay or whatever. And uh, even though we were actors doing things just to be seen by men, Jesus exposes all of that stuff and he says, be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. You will be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. God is making you more like Him. He summarizes, I think, the whole thing here with this end section. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. It's one of those verses that I wish was different, you know? I wish he could have said, um, narrow is the gate and... Um, easy is the way which leads to life. <laughs> but he doesn't say that. He said difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Also something that maybe I wish we didn't hear. You know, there's a lot of this um, um, live and let live, and, and there's a big sort of ecumenical push toward a lot of these big, um, maybe monotheistic religious systems all worship the same God, and I really have to look at that stuff and say, okay, is that true? That there are like millions of people, billions of people maybe, that are all worshiping the same God. Maybe they call him something a little different. Maybe they follow him a little under a little different tradition as the lingo goes. Or is what Jesus is saying is true? And then I have to ask the real question, who am I following? Am I following Jesus? Because Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate, the small gate. Wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction and many go in by it. Narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it. In fact, here's one of the problems. There are false prophets. There are people who come and lie to deceive. Who take people captive so that they end up going in the broad gate, maybe thinking that they're going in the narrow gate. 
and he's going to address that shortly. Beware of false prophets, verse 15 says, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Remember what we talked about earlier about the idea of judging righteous judgment? Not just, the ju- not just what's on the outside of things, but what's inside? He's coming back to that. He's still carrying that same idea. Because the problem with the false prophets is that they're wearing sheep's clothes. That means that for all, in, you know, for all intents and purposes, they look like sheep. But inside, they're ravenous wolves. He tells us how to identify them. You'll know them by their fruits. <laughs> that means that you need to make some judgments. <laughs> you need to exercise some discernment. You'll know them by their fruits, just like trees. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? The understanding here is no, they don't, right? Uh, Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears the bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. There's a consistency in life. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That's a statement of judgment. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. leads to, honestly, to so many questions for me. What about people who seem to have been going in the right way and then who have turned away from that? I think of just over the last week, it was uh, Joshua Harris who wrote the uh, I Kiss Dating Goodbye book, and he was a pa- he'd been a pastor for a long time, many years at a church, and he recently recanted that particular book, some of the things he said in that book, and then now he's officially announced, like he's... he's um, separated from his wife they're getting a divorce and he is essentially said by all accounts of what i consider to be a christian i'm no longer a christian anymore you know and he's been a very prominent you know christian leader many people are familiar with joshua harris you know <clears throat> beware of false prophets jesus warns <laughs> You know, it's been said one of the best ways to know the, um, it's been said by many, one of the best ways to recognize falsehood or false things is to know what the truth looks like, right? Because when you know the truth and anything else that doesn't line up with that, you automatically know is falsehood, is wrong. That's why my encouragement to you guys has been and will always be, be people of the word, be people of the scriptures, be studying the word of God, be reading it, be meditating on God's word, spend your time talking to him. Let the word of God just wash over you over and over and over again for hours and hours and whenever you get an opportunity so that, so that you'll know what is true. And when somebody comes to you and says, well, this little thing over here is true, you can say, you know, it doesn't really sound like Jesus. It doesn't really sound like what the, the um, prophets say about the Lord. It doesn't sound like what the apostles told us about him or about his way. Narrow gate, broad gate. Narrow way, Broadway. <laughs> Broadway? <laughs> Sorry, I don't know any songs, nor should I. <laughs> He says, watch out for false prophets. And there are warnings throughout the New Testament against this very thing. In fact, when Paul calls the Ephesian elders together in Acts chapter 20, when he's about to leave them, he's, he says, listen, you guys, there's going to rise up, not only from outside of the body, but even from among you, false teachers, false prophets. 
Paul warn, gives warning after warning after warning in a number of his letters about people who would take others captive with things that are simply not true. And they'd use them, for, they'd exploit them for their own benefit. And that means you and I need to make some judgments. I'm afraid that there are too many people in church who have followed people without really considering, without really thinking about things, and people have been taken advantage of a lot by churches. Um, <laughs> sorry, I was just thinking of these, this thing, this like Instagram thing called uh, pre Preachers and Sneakers. And <laughs> there's another one, I think it's called Prophets and Watches or something like that. And, uh, and, and I'm not, I can't make any particular judgment about anybody that's on there in particular, but basically they're just accounts that show like the watches that certain pastors have or the shoes that they have. And then they show like the prices of those items, like right next to them, the, the person wearing them, you know, and some of them are just like, Oh, you know, some of them are like $30,000 watches, you know, on these guys wrists and stuff. And you're like 30 grand for a watch, like brutal, man. You know, or like five thousand dollars shoes and stuff like that. And just <sighs> either way, please don't hear me saying that and think that I'm making any particular judgment about any one of them. You know why? Because man judges on the outward. I don't know any of their hearts. Um, but we see so many illustrations of that, like the guys recently who were like, you know, God told me I need to buy a private jet or whatever, so you need to give me a, you know, a couple million dollars to buy a jet. And you're like, what? <laughs> what is going on here? And the, the thing that just gets me about it, that just ugh, grinds my gears, <laughs> is that, is that there, are, there are tons of people that are just given over to it. And, and many of these, these guys end up getting those things that they've, you know, that they've asked for or whatever. I remember watching Christian TV one time, which I don't recommend to you if you don't want to sear your conscience. Uh, um, <laughs> I remember watching one of the things, and it was pretty one of the pretty prominent guys, and he was like, one of the lines just hit me because he was like, "If you sow a hundred dollar seed faith gift into our ministry, then your daughter, who's off in prostitution, will come back to you, or whatever." You know. And and I just thought, man, you're you're selling, it's it's selling indulgences. I mean, kind of, you know, it's 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 selling, it's it's like um it's like Simon the Wizard being like, how much money can I give you to learn that trick about you giving the Holy Spirit to people? You know, that uh, we see Simon the Sorcerer there in the Book of Acts. You know, like he believes, and then he sees them laying hands, the apostles laying hands on people, and then receiving the Holy Spirit. And so he goes to them, and he's like, yo. Yo, I can get that. I can learn that trick, you know. And they're like, Simon, <laughs> like, what? <laughs> so, judge me. I don't know how else to say it. Look at my life. You need to, for your own sake. Because a good tree can't bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. 
And every tree that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you'll know them. <clears throat> Judge me, and not me only. The others that you listen to. Judge them. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine... Oh, sorry, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me... See, because here's the danger of false prophets and false teachers. We're going to wrap up with these last verses here. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will, does the will of my Father in heaven. This really moves us into this place of um, uh, faith without works is dead. It's really a, a simple statement of that. We, if you say you trust the Lord, but you're not actually following Him with your life, then it's, it's an empty faith. It's vanity. Faith without works is not true faith. It's dead faith. It's, it's not real trust. If I say I trust you, but I don't actually do things that demonstrate my trust in you, I'm not actually trusting you. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And there are lots of people in America, because it's been easy for the last 50 or 60 years, maybe longer, to be a Christian, to go to church, and to call yourself a follower of Jesus, and not actually have to do anything to prove it, right? It's becoming harder now, because there are certain portions of the scriptures, of the writings, about what is right and good about life, that have been openly rejected by our society now, right? As we begin to embrace uh, many sorts of things, following the sexual revolution and other things. There are many things that, are, that have become embraced in, in places that make it much harder now to go somewhere and call yourself a Christian. I, and and um, I remember reading a, a section of comments on a news story that was about a... a um, Oh, it was, it was about the, sh the shooting in El Paso, right? So, like, yesterday and then late last night, there was, like, shooting in El Paso, and there was one in Dayton, Ohio now, you know, these heartbreaking things. Many lives lost, but, you know, I was reading comments on these things, which also is a thing I don't recommend. <laughs> but, like, I was looking at the comments on here, and all of these comments were like, it was probably some right-wing Trump supporter, quote-unquote Christian person, mad about whatever, you know. And I thought, wow, that's a shift in American culture. Because 50 years ago, nobody would have said that or even thought that. Right? It's a big, big shift. And, you know, we, we've moved toward a post-Christian and have been for a while now, moving toward a post-Christian society, much like um, most of Europe has been for, for um, hun I think, hundreds of years at this point. Um, so as it becomes harder to really openly be a Christian, there's going to be some refining. Right? It's, it, I think it's beneficial for the church, because then um, it sort of helps us clarify whether or not we really want to follow Jesus, or whether or not we actually just want to go along with the way the world is going. Right? There's a narrow gate, and there's a broad gate, a wide gate. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. This deals with deception. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, and listen to the things they'll say. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? That's pretty good, right? Prophesying in the name of Jesus, that's pretty good. You know, speaking forth the word of God in Jesus' name, prophecy. It's a good thing. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name? That's a pretty good thing, right? Casting out demons in the name of Jesus. And done many wonders in your name. Maybe a statement about general miracles. 
done many wonders in your name. And then I will declare to them, verse 23, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Heartbreaking. <laughs> didn't, we, didn't we speak, prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do all these miracles in your name? And Jesus will say, I just didn't know you. You didn't know me. You did all this stuff in my name, but you didn't know me. Imagine being deceived. Because that's what it is, right? Where you think you are something or know something, and it's just not true. And the day that it's revealed is the day of judgment, at least in this part of the text here that Jesus is giving us. Haven't we done all these things in your name? And Jesus' response is, Depart from me. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And it's rooted in this thing right here that he's going to bring up in verse 24 through the last part of the sermon. Whoever hears these sayings of mine, because that's true, there is this opportunity of being deceived. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and and does them. There's a connection between faith and works. An inseparable connection <clears throat> between what we say we trust and then how we act. And this is something that James brings out much more in his letter, right? When he, when he talks about faith without works being dead. Even the demons believe, but they tremble. <laughs> Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And in the end, it comes back to the simple question that I hope you've heard me ask before, <laughs> is that, are you following Jesus? Right? Not, do you call yourself a Christian? Are you following Jesus? Are you hearing him? And because you trust him, doing the things that he says. Because that's what it means to be a Christian. And the reason why we need to have this warning is because there are false prophets and because it is possible for us to be deceived. So examine yourselves, as Paul says, to see whether you are in the faith, the encouragement that he gives. So it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And I've brought this point up several times. This Jesus' teaching was so radical because he didn't appeal to like the previous scribes or the previous, uh, the previous rabbis and say, Rabbi so-and-so says this about, about this part of the law. Instead, Jesus said, this is the teaching you've heard, but I say this to you. And that kind of teaching was radical. It, he wasn't appealing to someone else's authority. He was making himself the authority. <laughs> and of course, he would continue to do that, and eventually it would get him killed. Um, eventually. So I uh, want to remind you of something else real quickly about this idea of judging, about being judgy. Judge, 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 judge. First Corinthians chapter six. 
Um, <laughs> uh, chapter 5, actually, before that. So Paul's writing this letter to Corinth. A couple of things Paul doesn't do when he writes to Corinth is, is he doesn't say this. Your church is a mess and you're all going to hell. In fact, as he begins the letter, he actually encourages them in their faith and speaks of them as fellow saints and of their embracing of the gospel, even though their church is a mess, which is just fabulous. This is wonderful. In um, chapter 5, uh, he's talking about this issue of this person who is in a sexual relationship with their stepmom. And the, the context here seems to suggest that the church is kind of proud of the fact that they're allowing this to happen, that they're so gracious and so merciful that they're like embracing this situation, right? And Paul's like, whoa, 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 hold up, y'all. Okay. And so he deals with it. And he says this, um, your glorying is not good in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 6. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. That's, he's talking about how to deal with that brother who was involved in this situation. Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my epistle, my, there was a previous letter before 1 Corinthians, one that we don't have. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Stop right there. Paul had already written to them saying, don't hang out with sexually immoral people. Yet, I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of the world. That's not what I meant. Don't hang out with, with unbelievers that are sexually immoral. <laughs> That's not what I meant when I said don't hang out with the sexually immoral people. Um, or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters. He includes some other groups in there. Since then, you would need to go out of the world, right? The only way for you not to ever be around people who are sexually immoral or covetous or idolaters or extortioners is for you to not be in the world anymore because the world is full of people <laughs> that are messed up, right? But, verse 11, Now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a viler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. That was his instruction here. And earlier on he had said with this guy involved in this sexually immoral relationship that they were to deliver him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, which is a, a loving way for, for them to say, listen, you've got to deal with this. <laughs> you're, you're follower of Jesus and, and this is going on in your life. It needs to be dealt with. Later on, we find in, his, in what we have as the second letter to the Corinthians that he did deal with it, and they were to accept him back and, and receive him with love and forgiveness, um, the person involved in that situation. So, um, for, listen to this in verse 12, for um, what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. He's talking about outside of the church. Those who are outside, don't worry about judging them. It kind of, you know, deals with that, whether or not we should hold up signs that say God hates fags, right? Don't judge those who are outside, he says. Do you not judge those who are inside? Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. And the implication here is that you and I are supposed to judge those who are in the church. It's called accountability, friends. 
<laughs> it's called holding each other accountable, loving each other enough to say, you keep doing this, knock it off. I care about you. I don't want your marriage to be ruined. I don't want your, ki- your kids' lives to be damaged because you keep going on in this sin. I love you and I'm confronting you about it because I care about you. He continues in chapter 6 and he says, Dare any of you... Um, <clears throat> having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? Boom, that's like a mic drop right there. You imagine the angelic realm will be under the authority of redeemed humans? (coughs) Mic drop. That is shocking, man. (laughs) Because angels, they real strong. <laughs> They're powerful creatures. How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there's not a wise man among you, not even one who will be able to judge between his brethren, but brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? Now he's going to tell us why Christians shouldn't be suing other Christians, which is basically a summary of what he just said. Now, therefore, it's already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? Just accept the injustice from your brother instead of going to the unbelieving court system and make, make a, a mockery of, of the family of God by, by holding on to bitterness and anger and resentment and fighting out in front of people who don't even believe. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat and you do these things to your brethren. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Paul certainly deals with this idea of exercising right judgment (laughs) in several different circumstances there in that uh, particular letter. But exercising judgment. We not shouldn't be caught up in exercising judgment in the amongst those who are outside, but it it is our responsibility to love each other enough to say to our brothers and sisters, why are you doing that? What's going on? You know. But this is hard because church can be very actor-ish, right? We can be a bunch of hypocrites getting together, painting smiles on our faces, acting like we've got it all together when we don't. So how can we cultivate an atmosphere where we're willing to be honest with each other and confess our sins to each other? I think in a lot of ways it's about spending time together. It's about talking. But sadly, I'm afraid that it can be kind of rare. Because, um, (laughs) because we're only chasing safety. And it's not safe being vulnerable because you expose yourself to being hurt. 
It's not safe necessarily to confess my sin to others. <clears throat> but I think that there is a um, good way, a right way for us to love each other enough to exercise right judgment. Judge not that you be not judged, because with the judgment you judge, you'll be judged, and with the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. So be merciful to each other, be patient with each other, be kind and gentle, be gracious with each other. But if your brother has a speck in its eye, it's not wrong for you to try and help him remove it. But what you need to do first is take the plank out of your own eye. Deal with yourself first. Examine your own heart. Lord, is this thing that I'm seeing in this other person, because here's frequently what the case is. The thing that you're seeing that's wrong with somebody else is frequently what is wrong with you. You just haven't seen it yet. But you see it because, because it's what's in you and you're seeing it in someone else. So deal with yourself first. Repent. <laughs> Confess. And then you'll see clearly to help your brother remove the speck from his eye. Which is, uh, by the way, a loving thing to do. It's a loving thing for us to help each other by doing that. Uh, so here's some questions for you. We'll end with this. How can we do that as a family of believers? How can we encourage that? Um, not only like amongst our group, but amongst others as we get together with other believers throughout the week and other times. How can we encourage that kind of authenticity, that kind of real Christian fellowship and accountability? Are there people that, that genuinely have a place in your life that they can hold you accountable? Are you in relationships with people where they could actually say something to you that maybe is hurtful and you would actually hear them? <clears throat> Faithful are the wounds of a friend, Solomon said. And all I can say is, Lord, help. <laughs> help us to exercise right judgment. Help us not to be deceived. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would help us not to be hearers only, deceiving ourselves, but to be doers of the word. Because if we genuinely trust you, if, it, if our faith is true faith, then it does indeed demonstrate itself through our actions. Lord, would you help us to love each other enough to hold each other accountable and be sensitive and patient enough with each other to receive correction? <sighs> that we would be lights in the world <laughs> and, not, <sighs> and not people that are deceiving others ourselves. <clears throat> Thank you for your patient continuance in love toward us. Lord, we need your help to exercise right judgments. So we ask now, Lord, give us wisdom. Give us patience. Lord, move us into a place of being more merciful and more gracious with the people around us, listening more than we talk, hearing more than we're just waiting for, for our time to respond. Help us to be swift to hear, and slow to speak, and slow to wrath, slow to anger, Lord. That um, 
we would be able to point more people to you. That they too would have life. And that we would have healthy relationships in our lives, Lord. <laughs> Pray that you'd do that work in us. That you'd continue it in us. Thank you for your word, Lord. I'm so excited as we go through Matthew, Lord. I pray that you'd continue to speak to us and change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Okay, guys, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you.